0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love Him deeply, and follow Him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. As we dive in today, I remember uh, Jackie, when we were married, probably about three years, she took me to the Grand Canyon. And when I, when I saw the Grand Canyon, at, at first... I was blown away because in my mind, I had pictured a, a crack in the ground, but it was a whole lot bigger than I thought. I mean, it took my breath away. I remember standing at the edge and just feeling the gravity of how massive it was. It was bigger than I thought. And, and I, I remember going to the Jelly Belly factory. Anybody been there? Yeah. Ooh, it, man, I've been in the bear my whole life, and I just went a few years back. I mean, it was so much fun. It was so interesting. I love to see how things are made and designed. And and I didn't know that a jelly belly had actually been in outer space. Like literally the astronauts took jelly bellies to the moon. I thought, man, that's a lot bigger than I think when it comes to jelly bellies. I didn't know that three and a half tons were sent to the White House for Reagan's inauguration. Three and a half tons of jelly bellies. What in the world? But but I think that the days that we're living in are a lot bigger than we think. I think the time and the season that we're living in is a lot bigger than we think. You know, they say that this next generation coming up is going to be way more of a user generation than an innovative generation. Now, no, that's not to say in totality, because I believe that a lot of innovation is, is still coming out. However, a lot of the innovation is being built on previous platforms. A lot of the innovation today is being created off platforms of the past. So there's not a ton of like, fresh, groundbreaking innovation. There's a, a lot in certain ways. But they're saying the next generation is far more geared toward using than inventing. And I think technology is it's interesting. We live in the Silicon Valley. I mean, we live in one of the, the epicenters of the world where we are transforming the way that we do life. And we love technology here. Technology is such a gift, but it also comes with its challenges. It, it creates a lot of noise. It creates a lot of options. It creates a lot of distractions. And so there's not a whole lot of time to, to think and, and ponder and be creative and innovative because we're always doing something. And so when you use and you build on a previous platform, it's a lot safer. It's a lot less risky. And when it comes to investing, it it can even feel a little bit more wise because there's a good chance that it's not going to go terribly wrong. However, I think when it comes to us as a church, I think we have to be careful because I think we can also be distracted. We can be overly entertained and we can contend for a safety and rather than believing that God wants to do something new, we can simply rely on what God has done through others in the past rather than believing that God wants to do something fresh in us, fresh through us. Somebody asked me the other day, we were talking and a lot of great men and women of God, there is a generation that is passing away. Great evangelists and ministers that have really shaped, in the name of Jesus, the globe. And, and, and I was, I was, we were chatting and... and my, my friend asked me, he said, hey, wh- wh- who's next? I was like, man, that's a great question. And you know, you can kind of muster some things up, but I was like, man, it's, I, I got to think about that for a moment. And I think it's interesting because as followers of Jesus, like we all believe that God can do the impossible. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, so grateful that you're here today. As a follower of Jesus, we, we believe that God can do the impossible. We would never say that God can't do it. But I do think that sometimes we're not sure that God wants or is willing to do the impossible through us. And I think many of that, I think we come to those conclusions because we look in the mirror and we know us. We know our flaws. We know our shortcomings, our imperfections. We know our struggles. We know our lack of resources or even our abundance of resources yet afraid. Don't feel secure. Want to play it safe. Some of us, we have stopped believing this because we're tired. I said last week, there's a lot of relationships that they're, they they have not don't hate each other. They're just tired. A lot of marriage is tired. Some of us have been through some very difficult things and we've just stopped believing. Or some of us have contended and we've stopped because maybe we didn't see the outcome that we had hoped for. And so I, I want to encourage you that as we dive in today, we're going to look at, at two prophets that I think are going to bring a lot of encouragement to you and I. We're going to look at Elijah. Everybody say Jah, yeah. And Elisha. Everybody say Sha. Yeah. Now Elijah was one of the greatest prophets to walk the face of the planet. During his day, there was a lot of evil, a lot of opposition on multiple levels. There was a lot of Baal worship. Asherah worship, which is false gods and and ideologies. And and we saw the Lord use him to do some incredible things. Uh, uh, One moment there was like this UFC standoff to see whose God was true. And Elisha's like, let's go. One guy, verse 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And of course, the God of heaven, the God of Elisha. Fire comes down, consumes the altar. Just some powerful moments. He was a mouthpiece for God at a very unpopular time. Fourteen recorded miracles, and he just lived in a season that in his day, I think he would say, like we would say of our day, it was a whole lot bigger than he thought. Like, like this guy, Elijah, never tasted death. Like He was taken up in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire to heaven. Now, some of us, when we hear that, we're just like, man, I, I, that's just so hard to believe. True story. The man never tasted death. It was a whole lot bigger than he thought. And then there was a moment where Elijah was hearing from the Lord. God spoke to him and said, there's this young man, Elisha, that I want you to anoint him. I want you to to mentor this guy. And this is what it says, 1 Kings 19, verse 19. It says, so Elijah departed and found Elisha, son of Safat, and he was plowing with 12 teams of oxen. And he was with the 12th team. Elijah passed by him and threw his cloak around him. It's like a drive-by cloaking, right? Just (laughs) drove by. And the the whole idea, get this picture. It's it's like literally he walks by, throws it on, just keeps walking. Like you, you, you read the text sometimes and you feel like these prophets, they just had like a little swag, a little angst to them, right? And, and, and this cloak wasn't to keep him warm. It, 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 was, it was symbolic of the prophetic mantle, power, and authority that God had placed on his life. And now he's saying it's on yours, that God is calling you, that just as he's covering me, he's going to cover you. And he invited him into a mentorship, like, hey, dude, I want to disciple you. But the crazy part was no details were given. The greatest prophet on the planet just throws his cloak on you, and you don't know what's next. Elisha would go on to do two times as many miracles as Elijah, and God was calling him to something bigger than he thought. But you might be asking, like, how do we relate to these prophets? Well, Romans chapter 15 says it this way. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. You see, as we look back at Elisha, we realize that he is an ordinary guy that has an ordinary job. Like this was his daily view. This is what he looked at every single day. He was plowing oxen. Some of you guys have a sense of humor. Some of you guys don't, but it's all good. Like this is what this, I mean, literally, and these guys are leaving presents for him along the journey every day. He's a business owner. He's running teams. He has 12 teams that he oversaw. He's an ordinary guy being faithful to what God had put in front of him. And can I just tell you that that's how you go from plowing to calling is being faithful, to what God has put in front of you. And when you're faithful to what God has put in front of you, what he's calling you to do next, it's rarely you'll miss it. So many times we're looking to the other, we're looking on the other side and we don't want to be faithful to what he's called us to. We want to squander that and get on to what's next. And God's like, no, man, keep plowing. Keep working. But what would Elisha tell us if he were here today? What What advice would Elisha give us to go from plowing to calling. Well, I think the first thing he would say is this is when God calls don't play it safe. Super exciting. The prophet of the day like God has chosen me. But very risky. 12 oxen meant this guy was associated with wealth. 12 plows, 12 oxen. It would have been way safer to say, "Hey, time out. I need some more details." Let's talk about a job description here. What's the pay? How's this going to transpire? Because I'm, I got a good gig going. Like, it's, it's working well. And he has none of that. He has no job description. There's no pay. And he's going to go from owner to servant. He's going to go from running everything to serving. To such a degree, at one point, he would hold a towel a while and to wash Elisha's hands after he used the bathroom. I mean, he went from plowing oxen, kind of overseeing the operation, to like, here's your towel. So it would have been way safer just to hang out a little bit. But without hesitation, he, he makes the move. But he wasn't going to make the move. He wasn't going to get to where God was calling him by playing it safe. It says this in 1 Kings 19, verse 20. It says, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Like, he ran after him. Hey, hey, hey. So, so get this picture. He'd drive by. He's like, hey, hey, runs after him and says, hey, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Like, basically, it's, it's, it's worded really weird. But what he's saying is this. Like, I'm not stopping you. But keep in mind that you have my cloak, that the solemn call of God is on your life. Don't allow any earthly affection to detain your obedience. Go ahead. You want to say goodbye real quick? Go do your thing. We see something different with Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is like, no, 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 don't don't go. Let let, let the dead bury the dead. Don't go back and say goodbye. But but in this moment, maybe not as imperative. But what he did next is really the key. It's it's really the the heartbeat that we see that Elisha would give us this advice. Listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna move from plowing to calling, you can't play it safe. And this is this is what he did. It says that he took, after Elisha left him, he went back and he just didn't say goodbye. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. He's like, hey, guys, game is changing. I'm going to give you a little severance, and I'm moving on. And it says, then he set out to follow Elisha and became his servant. What did he do? He burned his plan B. I can't go back. You know how we are. I want to use a little Wisdom. I'm going to go ahead and leave my teams in operation just in case the details don't work out in my favor. It was so, so much easier just to play a little bit safe. I am more convinced now more than ever that we use wisdom as an excuse for faith. And I think we really need to ask God to give us the discernment to understand the difference. Because God will call you to do some irrational things. Christianity is not irrational, but God will call you to do some irrational things. But he does, he's not even instructed to do this. He just burns everything up, slaughters everything. And you're thinking in your mind right now, like, I don't have any ox. But we love to play it safe. See, we would say to Elisha, go, you go. Slaughter them oxen. Burn those plows. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, we would encourage that, but then God says, I'm calling you. And you're like, oh. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I should slaughter or if I should store, just store them, put them away for a season, let them rest. Or we just like to play it safe, including myself. Ladies and gentlemen, I love safety. We all do. We just need to love Jesus more. And, and so, so there's, there's no plan B for him. The call of God is on his life, and there's no plan B. He plays it totally unsafe. I think one of the idols in our day, it's not just materialism or ideology. It's, it's not just sex. I think one of the greatest idols of our day is safety, and especially for the church. Like we I heard it once said a long time ago that we have the next generation coming up that is like the most helmet-wearing, knee pad, wrist guard-owning sunblock lathering, non-playing in the dirt, having password-protected generation on the planet. Like, there's just some stuff we look back and I'm like, I I used to roll in dirt, eat dirt, and my mom didn't care. Now we're like, did you bring your sanitizer? Stay away from that. What do you don't know? And, And we can create an atmosphere of fear without even knowing it. And so we start to live really bound and we give this illusion of safety because safety is an illusion. Because we are not as in control of our life as we think. In fact, I did a little bit of homework and I Googled some freak accidents. There was a guy who died because a cow fell through his roof onto his bed. I lost what I said. How's the cow get on his roof? So his, his roof backed up to the hillside. And the cow climbed onto the roof, unstable in all of his ways, and plowed down, like broke the man's leg, and then he ended up dying of an infection. There, there was a, a, a fitness trainer, super big following. She was opening a can of, of whipped cream, and it exploded, and it killed her. Whipped cream! In my mind, this is not funny because I know that she died. But in my mind, I'm like, a fitness trainer and whipped cream? Like, it was cheat day that day. You know what I'm saying? Like, But it was a freak accident. It just, it just happened. And so I think a lot of times this creeps into the church, and we're like, we're not going to be generous with our time and our talent and our treasure because it's, it's not safe. Like, do you know the days that we're living in and like, we just, it's, it's not safe? Like, to share our faith with people, I can't do that. Like, my job is on the line. It's not safe. Like, to take risks. For the name of Jesus? Like, all right, in moderation. Don't want to be a radical. Don't want people to think that I'm weird. Go to a small group? It's not safe. It's so dangerous. <laughs> like, jump on the serve team? No way. Way unsafe. I mean, just little things. It sounds funny. But the reality is, is our safe living shrinks our faith. It, it, it kills our vision. It keeps us from dreaming and believing for the impossibility and dreaming a dream that only God can put on the inside of our hearts. It keeps us from even the idea of that, that God can do something great in and through us. And so, so I, I think a lot of times when it comes to our church, it can, it can even sound like, man, we're, we want to be safe and comfortable as a church. We just gotta make sure we don't get too big, because then I might not know everybody. Not safe. Like I might lose my seat. Definitely not safe. Don't. But you see how we as people we gravitate toward the same thing. I know where all of you sit. I could I could tell you every single week, outside of a few of you, I'm like I know exactly when you're here and when you're not here. Just saying. It's pretty predictable. But some, but some of us, listen, but, but you got to understand that we unapologetically want to reach people because our city is 98 to 99% unchurched and de And as long as there's one person lost in our city and our region or in the Bay Area, our church is too small. And so, so again, but, but we're not wanting to just fill the rows, fill the pews. No, no, no. Every person Matters. There's a name with the story that God cares about. So we don't want to just get bigger for the sake of getting bigger. We're not trying to fill pews. We don't have pews. We have chairs. And that's not our heart. But there's a mission that God has called us to. And we just play it way too safe sometimes. Acts chapter 5, they played it super safe. Super safe. Like, Let me just let me say this. This just isn't Old Testament stuff. Like in the book of Acts, they're preaching and they, they, they would get flogged. They're preaching to the people that killed Jesus. They, they, they were beaten. They were killed for talking about him. Like what if I told you, hey, guys, last week after church, they flogged me. They said they're coming back next Sunday. Can't wait to see you. Everybody online, can't wait to see you, right? Some of us in that place, we'd be like, yeah, I'm going to catch you online service next week. Like, like to show up and be ready to be flogged, like, that was the reality of the early church. And they were excited about it. Like, they were pumped about it. Like, like for real. Acts chapter 5, verse 14 and 41, it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged, which is whipped. And when you would get flogged them, at, at the end of the whip, there would be bone fragment. So that it would tear, so that it would tear your flesh. It says, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They're like, I'm so pumped I didn't get the bonus for his name. I'm so grateful I just lost my job for his name. My reputation shattered for his name. A lot of home alone, yes, yes yes, they're they're excited. And guys, we live in the safest place in the world. I know it's still crazy where we live. And I know there's still things that happen every single day. But in contrary to the rest of the world, we live in one of the most safest places. We are more afraid about what people think than we are about our lives being in jeopardy. And that's just, that dominates us. And that's, it's a real deal. I don't want to play it. I don't want to risk. Got to play it safe because they might think. And so I think sometimes the blessing of God, if we're not careful, can rob us of the privilege of God and suffering for his name. Verse 42 says it like this. So what did they do? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Why did they do this? Because when you go all in, when you burn the plows, When you slaughter the ox, there's no plan B, and you have a revelation of the reality of the resurrected Savior. You realize he is all you need, and that eternity is very real. And your priorities change dramatically. Like they knew that people are gonna spend somewhere, people are gonna spend forever somewhere, and it's a whole lot bigger than we think. And so, so what I'm saying is this is that God has not called us to a safe commission, but a great commission. And I want you to imagine more with me that, uh, imagine if God just gave us some more faith to risk a little bit more. And our risk today, they're not even that risky, but they can be a next step. They can be a next step. Like next time you think about praying for somebody, just, how about you just go pray for them? How about you ask in the store, hey, is it cool? I, I know this is weird can I pray for you? I, I see. I mean, just whenever the spirit of God is prompting you, will you burn the plows? Will you, will you let it go? We, we cannot think small and safe. It is impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It is impossible to please him without faith. And so much is on the line. And what does this mean for our Monday? Because all of us are going back to oxen and plows tomorrow. Some of us are going to school. Some of us are going to work. Some of us, today, we're going home. Can I just tell you that God may not call you away from ox from your ox and your plow. But maybe you're just plowing, and you need to start living out your calling in the place that he has put you. Like, for some of us, God is not calling you to go somewhere else. For most of us, he's probably not. For some of you, maybe. But the point is this, is that will you slaughter and burn everything that's getting in the way of the call of God on your life? And some of you are like, man, I don't even know like, where to start. What is the call of God on my life? Can, can, you, can you just lean in for just a moment? We are all called to the Great Commission. That is a great place to start. That is a great place to start. And so, so what would Elisha say for our Monday morning? Like, we're going back to life tomorrow. What would he say? I think this is what he would say. We need to start asking big. Like, if you fast forward 10 years, Elisha has been a servant to Elijah for about 10 years. Just a servant, abiding, learning, soaking it all up. No miracles, no fancy stuff, no stage, just servant. And all of a sudden, Elijah is about to be taken up, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. And this is what happens. This is when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. What if God put that question before you today? Tell me what I can do for you. What would we, ask, what would we say? How would we respond to that question? What can I do for you? Well, you can bless this food to my body and keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of us, man, that consists of our prayer life. And God's like, there's so much more. It's way bigger than you think. You say, well, I I don't know what I would ask. Let me just, just say this. You can tell where your faith is by the duration of your prayers. Do you ask for big things or not so big things? Because look look what happens here. This This is so good. So he says, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Look what Elisha says. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And I love Elijah's reply. He said, you have asked for a difficult thing. He says, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. In other words, stay close. He said, listen, you have done some great things, but our generation is going to need double that. I want a double portion. We can't live on the miracles of the past. We need a double for the future. And so Elijah's like, you asked for a difficult thing. Like, that's a pretty big ask. That's a pretty audacious request. When's the last time you prayed a prayer that God's like, that's difficult? And we know it's not difficult for him. But is God more astonished by our unbelief or by our faith? There's only two times that Jesus was astonished. One was unbelief and one was faith. And I think our prayers Will reveal that our prayers sometimes default to maintenance rather than mission, and we gotta make the switch. Just trying to maintain my life and opposed to mission. What is a difficult prayer? What, what does that even look like? Let me say if you're sick, maybe or maybe you know somebody with cancer and you're believing for God to heal you. Man, a difficult prayer, a big prayer would be like, God, I'm believing for you to heal me. But in the meantime, who do you want me to touch at chemo next week? Give me faces. Show me what to do. I'm still on mission. That would be a difficult prayer. I think as we look out in our city, when's the last time that we just ask God, give us, the, give us the whole Bay Area? Would you give us the Bay Area? The place where everybody says is like the graveyard to preachers. Would you, would you give it to us? Like, when's the last time we ask, Lord, would you give me my whole family? God, I just, would you you give it all? And listen, I know some of us have been laboring. My mom prayed for my grandmother for 35 years. Some of us, we just quit way too soon. I led my grandmother to the Lord two years before she died. And I watched her for the last two years of her life. Life completely changed. Incredible. Because someone was like, it's bigger. And I watched my mom get ridiculed. Like, my family would ridicule my mom. Like, she's crazy, she's the Christian, she's weird, and now they're all saved. And so I'm just saying, it's a lot bigger than you think. 98% of our city, can we believe that God wants to do that? And so, so very truly, Jesus said in John 14, Very truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, this text is highly debated. Depends on which side. If you're Pentecostal, if you're a reform. If you're Pentecostal, everybody's like, man, he's talking about signs and wonders and miracles. And the other side of the argument would would say, no, 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 no. What what he's really saying is is that because we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and there's a lot of us, we're going to be able to reach more people than Jesus and the disciples ever could. But Jesus doesn't clearly define what he means. I wonder if he, knowing what he knows and doing what he does, if he's sitting back wondering, what will they cry out in regards to this text? Cause I'm like, can we have it all? Can we reach a ton of people and can we see a demonstration of truth and power in our day? just wonder if he's sitting back saying, I wonder how big their faith is. And I'm not talking about uh, like a prosperity faith. Well, Lord, I want a Lambo with peanut butter interior on 20-inch. I'm not talking about that. That's something totally different. I'm talking about when we're following Jesus, his desires become our desires. And our prayers are huge, but they're less self-seeking. And they're far more geared toward eternity. And God says, I'm in, I'm in that. I want to be a part of that. And that's exactly what he says. I want a double portion. And he says, you got it, but stay close. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Stay close. Abide. Have you stopped asking big? It's time to start on Monday. I also think he would say this. You need to start with worship. You need to get away from the noise. Something happens powerful in worship, Worship is more than a song, but it's not less than. Me- meaning, uh, God created music to worship him. Music is geared, like, you think about every song, is, it's moving you somewhere. But music was designed to worship him. It's, it's in the presence of God that, <clears throat> and in the moments, moments of worship That the atmosphere can totally change. And God begins to speak. He gets what he deserves, glory. And somehow what we get, what we need, clarity. And we start to know how to move. Like dreams are birthed in the presence of God. Moses is called back to Egypt. Where was it found? On holy ground. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground in the presence of God, hearing from him. There wasn't any music at the time. Again, worship is... More than music, but it's not less than. We see when David would play the harp, demons would flee. The torment would flee from Saul. We see the worship praise. The worship team would go out before the armies of Israel in battle. God would get what he deserves, and they would get what they need. And we just see this all throughout the scriptures. One of my favorite stories about Elisha is three kings came, king of Israel, king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they were going to war against Moab. And they were pumped. They were asking big. They were believing big. And they ran out of water. Now, when you run out of water on the battlefield, you're you're in in trouble. And so what did they do? It It says the king of Israel, they set out with the kings of Judah and the king of Edom, And after a roundabout march of seven days, like they marched around this place for seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. Now, does that sound a little bit familiar? Remember Joshua marched around the city seven times, let out a shout. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, They took a city. I just wonder if it was like, hey, Joshua did it seven times. Let's do it seven days. And at the end, They got no more water. They don't have anything left. We cannot replicate miracles of the past, but we can learn from them. Like you can't replicate a move of God, but you can learn from the people who experienced that move of God. And so so I want to I want us to go back because what, what they didn't see, but they're about to learn, is that how Joshua came up with that plan was in the presence of God in a moment of worship. Uh, he, he, he was looking at the wall like, how, do we, how are we going to take this city? I got to unequipped people. This is well fortified. And finally the Lord shows up. He gets on his face and God says, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to reveal to you how to take this city. It's going to sound crazy. March around seven times, blow the trumpet. Boom, it's done. Victory. But they're like, okay, we're out of water. Is there a man of God around here? You sure he's a man of God. Can I show when, when you the, when the world doesn't work, people are going to, they start looking for God. And I just hope that we're ready as a church. That when they come knocking like, hey, is there a man of God, woman of God around here? I got no water. We're thirsty. We're, we're fighting battles out here. We don't know what to do. And so Elisha, they, they finally, they show up and Elisha didn't even want to help him. But he's like, because I like Jehoshaphat, I'll help you. They're like, yes, the prophet's going to do something. And so what he says is crazy. He says, bring me a harpist. Like what? Like we need water. And you want to sing some songs? Like bring me the harpist. They were asking big, but they, they stopped there. Sometimes we don't get quiet enough with God to even know what the next step is. We're like, God, let's go. We're believing big. I don't know what to do but we're believing because I get as big but spend time with me because I want to reveal to you how these things unfold you got to stay you got to stay close sometimes we stop there like some of you come in late every week because you just don't want the worship I don't want the songs I just get the message in. But can I just tell you, it's something that's so powerful in worship. Worship shifts the atmosphere because what worship does is this: as as the the harpist is playing and our eyes get fixed on God, all of a sudden the atmosphere of fear in His presence, in light of who He is, starts to diminish. The atmosphere of unbelief starts to shift because we're like, "Oh my goodness, I know who You are." The atmosphere uh, of chaos and confusion has the ability to shift when God puts things in perspective. As we get our eyes fixed upon him, all of a sudden it brings us back to a place of, oh my goodness, you can do it again. Oh my goodness, you, you are faithful. I, I, I forgot, God, you, you are faithful. And it shifts atmospheres. And some of us were asking big, but the atmosphere needs to change. We need to take time in the, in the presence of God. The presence of God will get you further faster. I'm just telling you, whenever I'm struggling in my message, I used to just wrestle through and like, oh, man, like I'm trying to. cause, And it, it's tough sometimes. Now I don't wrestle through. I worship through. And I'm like, God, I, I'm stuck, but you're not. You know what the people need. This is about you. This is about what they need. So, God, would you, would you speak to me? I'm just telling you, I could save hours off my time trying if I just spent a few moments being with him. So, so like on our first Wednesday last, last week, we had five minutes where we didn't, we didn't lead anybody. We just said, hey, we're going to give you five minutes and just be with God. And you just feel like for some, they're like, this is so awkward. And we want it to be. Because it's only awkward when that is not a rhythm in your life Privately. Like you put me alone in a room with God or, hey, let's have, I, that's fine. Because I'm, I always have those moments at home by myself. So I know how to engage in those moments. And we want to teach you how to engage in those moments. We just don't want you, you know, coming to worship here. We want you to create an atmosphere of worship in your home, in your individual life. So, so I would say, he would say, well, you got to start, start, you got to silence the noise and start worshiping. Got to ask big, but you got to start worshiping because God may want to give you some next steps that you're not seeing. And so as we give him what he deserves, somehow we get clarity in what we need. And God sometimes reveals a ton of stuff. Sometimes it's just, God, you get all the glory and that's it. So I'm not like seeking him to get something from him. But I just know that my faith in him creates a delight for him. That as a loving father, he longs to speak to his kids. Number one way God is going to speak to us through his word. But I'm just saying, when you have all that fullness of context, the Lord may just whisper something in your heart. We were leaving the other day from a place, and somebody had told me that an area of their body was injured. And, and, and I just caught myself saying, yeah, man, we'll, man, we'll be praying for you. But I'm like, we're here. Let's just do it now. You know, it's just, it's just moments like that to hear the voice of the Lord to be able to respond to whatever that next step is. And then I would think that Elijah would say this the last, and I'm, I'm done, is I would say we need to start, he would say we need to start digging today. So they're excited. He brought the harpist, but, but what was revealed? He said this, and thus says the Lord. So the Spirit of God came down and began to give revelation in this moment of worship. And he said, make this valley full of ditches. Thus saith the Lord. For you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet this valley shall be filled with water so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is an easy matter. I love this part. This is easy in the sight of God. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. Now it's easy for the Lord, but I don't think it was easy for these guys. They're like, we were hoping to get one of those miracle things. But we got a harp, so we were okay with that. But now you want us to dig? Dig? Like we can't just go to Home Depot and get shovels and look at we're thirsty. We're tired. The ground is hard. And you want us to dig. You want us to dig? Sometimes we have have yet to see miracles in certain ways because we're not stewarding our part in the natural. It's like, God, do something supernatural, but then we never step out given the opportunity to do so. If you look in the book of Acts, we see so many miracles, but where are those miracles taking place is them on mission. Living their life, going to the temple. Peter sees a guy that's crippled and lame. He's like, it for money. He's like, dude, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give to you. Get up, dude. In Jesus' name, let's go. And, and so a lot of times we're not stepping out of the natural, and so we, can, we never see the super. And there's sometimes that God's just sovereign. It's not about digging or any of that. It's just, man, God does not we're like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. But sometimes God says, go dig a ditch. And I'm going to fill it. Sometimes, you remember uh, uh, Naaman came also to Elisha, was like, hey, dude, I got leprosy. Can you heal me? Can you help me? He said, yeah, go dunk yourself in the dirty Jordan seven times. He's like, why don't you just stretch out your hand, you prophet? Do something amazing. Elisha's like, go dig a ditch and see what God will do. So what does he do reluctantly? He's like, well, fine. And he dunks himself. Seven time, he's healed. So I know sometimes we're, like, we're thirsty and we're tired and the ground is hard. My marriage is hard. My kids, are hard. My, 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 my city, my job, my boss, my, my life, even just my own heart, it's hard. And God says, man, I know. But there, there's water. It's an easy thing for me. But I want to do something in you. Dig a ditch. Some of us, we, we, we've stopped digging. Amy Simple McPherson, I talked about her a few months ago, famous evangelist, had revival breaking out uh, during the Great Depression. And it was a moment where she said, we got to build a, a, a church for worldwide evangelism. Maybe we want to send people all over the world to preach the gospel. And they're like, Amy, to fit as many people as you have coming every week, it would be like an auditorium of 5,000. She's like, do it. Let's do it. And they're like, Amy, you have $5,000. And it was so crazy because that $5,000 was only big enough, only enough money to dig a ditch. And I used to think this woman was so profound until I actually read my Bible and was like, oh, dude, she just knew her Bible. Because her words were, that's okay. We got five grand. No worries. Dig a ditch and God will fill it. And that's exactly what happened she just knew the Great Depression was no match for the Great Commission and then she builds a second largest dome in America for worldwide evangelism it's bigger than we think but she just there was there was just no like I'm burning the plow I burned the plows we slaughtered the ox dig the hole and let's keep digging let's dig deep you don't want to try to dig a big hole with a small shovel either some of us are like fine I'm gonna dig See, it's not working. Man, you dig until you hit water. Jacob wrestled with God. He said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. We want to dig some deep wells. I'm so grateful my mom didn't quit on year 12, on year 20, on year 25, on year 30. She dug a ditch for 35 years. We got to get a new tenacity on the inside of us we want instant results and sometimes he does it sometimes he does something in us and wants to see so can i just ask you a question like you're going to work tomorrow will you start to dig a ditch will you will you be a little more risky just be open to what god would speak to you on your job because you're not just there to plow you're there because you have a call like as you go home today don't listen I know that the world needs reaching, but your home might need some reaching too. Dig a ditch. Keep digging. Our church, we're going to keep digging. We're going to keep digging in the city. We're going to keep digging in the Tri-Valley. We're going to keep digging in the Bay Area. I'm grateful I live in California. I'm thankful for this region. I'm I'm grateful that God has called us to the hardest place, quote-unquote, in the nation. Let's go. We're going to dig ditches. And we're going to watch God fill it with water because there's a world that's so thirsty. They're fighting battles and they're like, does anybody have any water? Because I'm thirsty. But we're going with an authority that's not of ourselves. Elisha had Elijah's cloak thrown on him. And when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, it says that our sins were imputed on him and his righteousness was thrown on us. And now he tells us, he says, now I want you to go because all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples go and dig ditches. Ten years before Elijah saw the miracle, a student, and then God did double through his life that he could have never imagined I'm just telling you God has called us to imagine more imagine more faith let's not be afraid of hard ground California right now is super dry we're super thirsty the land is super thirsty let's be people that are committed to digging deep wells because there's a lot of people that need water there's a lot of people that need water let's not play it safe great commission, not a safe commission. What if I lose my job? What if, what if you lived like that? That if I lost everything, slaughter the ox, burn the plow, what would happen? I want my kids to see faith like that. Faith that burns compromise, Faith that refused to bow in the in the face of fear, a faith that still is God's vocal peace in a very difficult time, preaching the fullness of the word, proclaiming the good news of His name. No matter how many times they say, "Don't preach, don't speak, don't declare," it's like, "No, man, we dig it dig it dig it, Would you stand to your feet, Father? I just thank you for our time today, and I just pray that you would help us, God, to be people of faith. We've been contending for the gift of faith to rest on our church. Lord, that we would not be people. This is not a hype session. Lord, I pray that this would not be translated as hype. But I pray, Lord, that you would do something deep in our hearts. That it would resonate to the very core of our being. That you're just not challenging them, Lord. You're challenging me. That we are all in this fight together. And there are so many people who are thirsty. Some of us are thirsty. So, Lord, let, our, let the ditches that we dig, Lord, fill them with water. Even the ones that we've been plowing on for a long time, begin to fill them up, God. Do it in a way that only you can. Bring refreshing, bring revival, bring restoration, bring healing, bring deliverance. Lord, let it be for your name and for your glory. The good news of Jesus is still the power of God unto salvation. So do what only you can do inside of us, God. Help us to have faith like Amy that says, dig a ditch and God will fill it. Help us to see beyond ourselves. Help us to get outside of maintenance and start looking at mission. Even though our lives are difficult, even though we're all struggling in different ways, help us, God, to get outside of us, to see you and to see the world, knowing that the days we're living in are bigger than we think. Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.